Welcome to Fintech Insider Insights, brought to you by 11FS. Today, we're going to be talking about RegTech. I'm Sarah Kachansky, and I'm joined by 11FS debutant Naz Ahmed, 11FS General Counsel. So how does it feel to be on Fintech Insider? Uh, absolutely terrifying. No, great. Great. Really <laughs> excited. Um, I'm glad you changed your mind there. Uh, we are also joined by Jason Boot, who is the CEO of RegTech Associates. How are you today, Jason? I'm fabulous, Sarah. How are you? I am good. Um, Diana Paredes, who is by no means a debutante, this is maybe your fourth podcast. That's right, yeah. Um, who is the CEO and co-founder of Suede Labs. And also by Nick Cook, who again um, is becoming quite the regular uh, head of RegTech and Advanced Analytics at the FCA. Hello there. So I'm actually going to start by asking Jason and Diana to give us a quick overview of your companies and what they do. Um, and then I'm going to ask Nick to um, give us an overview of his role. So you have a little bit of time to prepare, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Who wants to go first, Jason? I could put him on the spot. Ladies then. first, please. Thank you. Um, hi, everyone. I'm Diana Ferreres. Uh We started the company Sweet Labs in London a few years ago. Uh, it's a rector company that's been doing quite well. So it's been quite an exciting adventure. We were recently uh, named by the World uh, Economic Forum as a technology pioneer, so you'll be hearing from me at Davos as well, which will be quite quite exciting. Um, we basically take data from financial institutions and normalize it and clean it and do all sorts of funky things with it that then allow us to do uh, things like uh, calculations, regulatory reporting, a lot of analytics. Uh, we even started doing some things in machine learning, which is quite, quite exciting. So that's for me. Brilliant. And how about you, Jason? Hi, I'm Jason Bowd. Um, I set up RegTech Associates uh, a couple of years ago. My background has in, been in technology, mainly working with large financial institutions. At RegTech Associates, we try and help uh, RegTech firms and regulated institutions realize the value of RegTech. So we see a, uh, quite a big gap between the demands to meet regulatory obligations that sit within inside the financial institutions and the supply or the ability for the reg tech companies to solve those regulatory obligations. And we try and close that gap. Uh, we help launch companies, help build products. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Quite a range of things. Absolutely. Um, and Nick, could you give us a quick, a quick, uh, well, a very quick overview of what you do on a day-to-day -day basis? Because I imagine we could fill a podcast with all the things that fall and, on your uh, plate. And I'm not sure anyone wants to hear that. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so I head up RegTech and Advanced Analytics. So two aspects to my role. One is external facing RegTech activities of the FCA. I lead all of that, uh, including our hackathons, our tech sprint events. Um, and then my second role really is to look at how we apply those technologies internally. So building out the FCA's advanced analytics capabilities, its use of data science, its use of machine learning. Brilliant. Thank you so much. So I'm actually going to start by asking you all to give me your definition of regtech. So I think it's quite an open ended term. You hear it applied to all sorts of technologies and areas and in fact, industries. So I will I will start by saying we're only going to be talking about it in the within the financial services industry for the purposes of today, or we could give you a week long podcast. Um, but you know, how would, how would each of you define it if, if you were asked to do so? Well, I usually use Nick's definition, so I'll let him talk no, you for it. it. You know it so well, you can quote it. And well, I'll, uh... I mean, I guess that, the, the, I mean, maybe you start and then I'll see what I like from your yeah, definition. Okay. So I think our definition has changed a bit over time. Um, I think in the early days, we, we tried to label it as some uh, subset of the fintech market. And over time, we've recognized that's not quite correct. So br broadly for us, it's the application of new technologies. And I think that's the important thing. It's not just reusing old technologies. It's use of new technologies, so new big data analytics, new machine learning technologies, new semantic technologies, those kind of things, network analytics. The use of new technologies to meet regulatory requirements, whether that be compliance requirements within institutions or requirements within regulators to supervise and monitor financial markets. So that's broadly how we see it. Yeah, I mean, and usually when I define RegTech, I basically just go to the FCA definitions. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how I present it as well uh, in all my speeches, because I think that the, the piece around new technologies is really critical. Uh, you do have a lot of... Um, you know, things happening in the industry that call themselves RegTech or, or not, or have the same kind of labeling. But it's really uh, the big difference from my perspective is that it cannot be something that's just repackaged as from old technology into saying it's RegTech and then it's the same old, same old, right? So the new tech piece is quite important. Brilliant. Do you want, have anything to add, Jason? I'm going to be controversial in a minute because I know you like that. But um, <laughs> so, so my definition isn't that dissimilar, although it lacks the word new technology. I think it's just the application of technology to help firms satisfy their regulatory obligation um, with a focus on financial services. To your point earlier, Sarah, 
Um, I think much of the focus has been on financial services, but I also see that changing quite a bit. We talk to a lot of reg tech companies that have clients in pharmaceutical, automotive. So I think, obviously, I get the fact that we're going to focus on financial services here, but maybe, uh, you know, I think there's a wider piece at play here. I think one of my questions perhaps on the definition of new is what does new mean right because we tend to break the reg tech market down into different tranches of technology you know Mm -hmm. you look at a company that's been around 10 years with a product in the market they're probably using 15 year old technology and i get that that we're actually aiming at innovation with perhaps technology that's been around less than five years Mm -hmm. but it's pretty hard i mean how do you define new right what's new what's old so I mean, do you have time for that? Because that can also be a huge tangent. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'll just ask Naz if he's got anything to add to that and then maybe we can pick up because the the types of technology we're talking about will sort of come into the the roundtable slightly later on. So, So, I I mean, I've got quite a lot of sympathy with the argument it's not just new technology. I think um, particularly with, with larger firms and more established players, technology that is surprisingly old will actually, when it's rolled out across their network or their customer base be quite new with them so um imx rbs and lloyds and uh you'd be amazed the number of times i hear people talking about the cloud as if it's something new and scary as opposed to something that's been around for a while their ability to adapt to technology um you know it's difficult for them so things that a smaller player would regard as hopelessly out of date they may still regard as kind of quite scary Interesting. Okay. So we'll come on to sort of the different, um, you know, types of people who are using it uh, slightly later on. But, you know, just get to get us started. Why why are we talking about it? So, you know, Nick, as you alluded to, we've been talking about it for a while now. Mm. Um, you know, there's there's a couple of uh, um, themes, I guess, that have been thrown up over the sort of two, three or four years we've been talking about. It. I want to basically sense check and see if they're still valid. So the first one that came up over and over again was regulation. There's, there's so much of it and it's getting longer. And, you know, that, that wonderful MIFID stack, uh, MIFID 2 stat, which Toby found for us. So shout out to Toby, which is this 1.5 million paragraphs of text. So that kind of was, was one big argument that we need to do something because actually humans can't manage this anymore. Please tell me he found that stat and didn't just read it all and then tell you how many paragraphs there were. <laughs> I, I don't know. Is that part, is that what they make you do at the FCA, Toby? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then the other one, which I think is is quite um, interesting and quite exciting, is actually the UK starting to sort of lead the way in this industry, whether that's from the regulatory perspective, you know, from what you're doing, Nick, or also from what, you know, Diana and Jason are doing from the startup perspective. So, um, you know, as a first sort of um, bat, do, do, do those still make sense to you or do you think that the, the drivers are changing? I think I think they broadly make sense. I mean, the the pressure of regulatory compliance was what drove firms to start to consider how do they how do they meet that in a more cost effective and cost efficient manner. So that that those stats that you're talking to are certainly one of the primary early drivers. Um, I think you, you say we've been talking about it for a while. We've probably only been talking about it in the UK for about three years, and various other parts of the rest of the world have been talking about it for about three months. <laughs> so, uh, absolutely, we in this market have been familiar with the term reg tech, and, ha- and have there have been conversations between the public and private sector, between regulators and regulated firms, for a, a number of years now. But actually, this is still a very nascent industry, on a, at least on a global picture. That's yeah, just me being right. in my little fintech bubble. So um. no, I, think, I think that's right as well. I think if you're inside the industry, perhaps like we are, you you do you do almost expect that everybody knows about regtech. But I still have a lot of conversations where people are, what is it, and and how does it work, and what's new about it, and why isn't it part of something else? So so I think you're right. Nascent's the word that I use. Three year old industry, and um, you know things are changing, right? So I think the industry is changing, um, but we're still at an early stage. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the the early stage piece is quite quite critical in a way because when we started the, our company, we we've done a lot of innovation with the new technologies that I will speak about afterwards. But um, but one of the things that I think is is interesting to understand is that the regulatory piece is quite important when it comes to reg tech, and so there's a lot of things that we've been able to achieve just from the work we do with our clients, and uh, and that's been super. Uh, but there is a reality where there is a dependency into how quick. Lead into how quickly the regulators move as well. Uh, in the UK, we've definitely been leading the work, you know, around that. A lot comes from the work that Nick's team has been doing. Uh, but in many ways, as an innovator, what you know, what I would like to see when you speak about RegTech for the next, you know, few years, is is really regulators coming around the table and and you know 
like putting the cards on the table as how, to how ambitious they want to be when it comes to digital supervision. Because to really get absolutely digital supervision, you're really looking at a, at a very different infrastructure than what you find right now. Uh, so then you have a company like ours that comes with a lot of the cool new stuff and, you know, banks are adopting it and it's been really exciting to see that. But, you know, our innovation basically, you know, stops where the regulation begins. Um, and so the more we see the regulators coming around the table and, and not necessarily uh, looking at RegTech as a hobby of the regulator, but more as something really embedded within the full organization, the better I think it will be for the whole industry. And, um, and to, to your point, Nick, have you, I mean, I know the answer to this question. I'm going to ask it for people who don't know the answer to this question. Have you had other regulators come to you and ask you kind of to look and see what you're doing and maybe see if they can learn from it and, and have an interest in, in doing similar things themselves? I've just realised I shouldn't be nodding on a, on a podcast. Um, <laughs> it's all right. Everybody does it. <laughs> uh, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, many, in mm-hmm. fact. And I think in, initially it was with a degree of... Um, Confusion, scepticism, in, in some cases cynicism about look what we were doing. The mad Brits again, look <laughs> yeah, at what they're a, doing. A little bit, a little bit. And I think because we have this competition objective, which a lot of regulators don't have, a lot of regulators looked at us and said, well, you're very pro-innovation because you have a competition mandate that you can hang it off the back of. I think as over the last couple of years, we've seen both a, an increasing number of regulators talking to us, more meaningful conversations, and those actually starting to really spin up substantial reg tech initiatives in their own jurisdictions. Um, so yeah, it's, it's becoming an increasingly global picture, uh, not ubiquitous though. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably worth referencing at this point. Some so, people are still very skeptical. Uh, skeptical. I don't know where how to move first, how to what the first step is. And actually, it's one of the things we've found as we've moved, say, three years into our work. People look at what we now do and see us running multinational, enormous hackathons and things, and and think, well, I can't do that. And of course, we couldn't do that initially. That's not where we started. So I think the first step is the, the thing that a lot of regulators struggle with. And actually, the first step for us was just engage with the industry, spend time talking to the industry about what they want and how you can help. So, so that's a good point to sort of jump into kind of uh, we've alluded to this a couple of times and, and uh, you know, you have as well. Now, what what problems can, can we be solving here? So we sort of talked about some of the drivers for it, but let, let's sort of dig into a little bit of kind of like, if we're talking about the problems, for example, that somebody the size of RBS or Lloyds or any of those banks have, where can what we're calling reg tech help them? Um, you know, the, we, there's, there's so many different areas I imagine that can come up, but, you know, let's let's start with some and build it out. I, I mean, I was going to make a point on the, la- the last question, but I think I, c- I can link it in here right so i think things have changed in the last couple of years so if you look back two years ago when regtech was perhaps gaining some momentum and you sat within a financial institution you're probably worried about the next big regulatory deadline and to a certain extent you still are right so mifid2 or gdpr whatever the the acronym is right that you're worried about you're also worried about um the huge book of work you've got to make sure your systems or your people can deal with those regulatory changes so some things have have changed right the, the stat we heard earlier, the I think there were 50,000 regulatory updates in 2015. That was almost the peak of the number of reg changes, right? So now that number may have reduced in 2018, 2019. It doesn't mean that legacy, that problem's gone away, firstly. and it, it But it does mean that some of the attention has shifted within financial institutions rather than worrying about the next big mountain of regulatory changes to deal with. How can they be more efficient? So to build it into the second question, Sarah, I think one of the trends we're seeing is the whole area of regulatory change. And, and the FCA have done a lot of work on this. And I think many... We think there's about 70 or 80 companies in, in across the reg tech sector that work in this regulatory change space. So just for those who don't understand the process of how do you map rule book changes and regulatory obligations right through the life cycle of your products and services in your businesses through to the, to the policies and controls and standards that you need and training that you need to ensure you meet the regulations. That whole process is pretty much managed in an analogue way at the moment in most institutions and how can we move that to digital? So as a starter, I'd say that's one of the big focus areas in the industry right now. Does, does that meet with well, what you would say, Nurse? So, I mean, I think for me, uh, the main impact is in the field of resourcing. So, um, you know, for a large institution, it's it's probably reducing uh, your very expensive, cumbersome manual back office processes. Um, or actually, very, relatively small changes can make huge incremental savings for large institutions. And for 
small institution. So I, I used to work up a, at a uh, one of the neo bank uh, neo banks called Tandem. It's more um, a way of leveling the playing field. So. You know, a new startup bank won't have a risk team of, you know, the tens of thousands that an RBS will, um, and it needs some and it needs some sort of way of being able to cope with compliance with regulation, um, in a in a resource like manner, and and actually, even something as simple as automated reporting, you know, for a, a small bank with a risk team of four, that is a massive benefit. So that's kind of yeah. filling in the reports that the regulator requires you sub- to submit on, you know, a, a or automatic, basis. Or automatically done for you, generating them. Yeah. I would say. The, I would tend to agree with with you a lot because what we have seen with our work is that the we do work with very large institutions and with very small ones as well, and uh, the automating, I mean, really automating the piece all the way from you know granular work of transaction level or when you do the booking or all of that kind of stuff all the way to whatever you're sending to the regulators or even the, the analytics that you have to be doing around that is uh, is you know basically has been key to our work and I would say that the automating this with real technology rather than professional services and you know more random things that are manual adjustments on the side of your desk kind of things which is how a lot of technology within financial institutions actually tends to work uh, has been huge right because we've really been able to demonstrate massive amounts of cost saving literally from you know millions of cost annual recurring cost into just a few hundred thousand pounds of a license and that kind of stuff is a big shift i would say in terms of like what regulatory solutions right now cost within the financial institution with all the piecemeal add-in manual adjustments enrichments of things that people do here and there versus actually automating the whole process and and i'd also add that from a, a risk point of view automation is generally speaking inherently safer and less risky you know the less manual something is the less you can muck it up that's obviously (laughs) subject to the caveat that if your automated system goes down you've got a very big problem but you know as a general rule of thumb it's 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 riskier it's less risky for banks from an operational point of view and and therefore from a customer point of view as well and how about unix so so we talked about how it can help you know the firms in the financial services industry it's actually helping you as a regulator as well though right there's problems that can solve for you sure yeah. So, well, before we do that, though, I think so. I think you've touched on two or th- two of the big areas where a lot of money and attention in terms of reg tech is piling in. So, reg change and reg reporting are two of them. I think the third that will listeners will be aware of as well is financial crime. So, again, picking up earlier points, a lot of manual efforts at the moment, a lot of uh, inefficient processes, a lot of um, actually a lot of risk based into some of those manual processes and very high cost to comply and very high cost to serve new clients at the moment. So a lot of, a lot of money going into more efficient KYC, new ways of transaction monitoring, that sort of thing. For us, I think myriad of potential benefits actually and myriad of use cases. So partly the reg reporting use case works for us as well. If, we, if firms can comply with their regulatory reporting obligations uh, more consistently, more efficiently, then it delivers opportunities for us to have higher quality data and potentially to, to change some of our requirements on a slightly more dynamic basis because we know firms can meet them in a, in a cost-efficient manner. Um, we supervise uh, nearly 60,000 firms we have no choice but to be data and analytics led in how we prioritize that portfolio of firms so there's there's a lot of opportunities for us in how we mine both the data firms provide to us but public and open data sources to help us risk rank and prioritize supervisory effort equally we are not short of some manual processes ourselves so there are automation opportunities internally for us in terms of stripping out uh, low value add manual tasks and getting machines to perform them on a automated consistent repeat basis Um, i think finally for us one of the areas that we're particularly interested in is how we use things like network analytics to understand connections between market participants whether they be connections between people or between firms Again, for some of the some of the similar use cases to firms, so that we're we're better at identifying fraudulent activity, we're better at identifying bad actors, better at identifying things like phoenixing of companies. Um, so what would that be? Phoenixing is a is actually quite a long-standing challenge in financial markets, which is where, due to some either regulatory intervention or some kind of uh, financial failure, a, a firm goes out of business. Um, exposed uh, exposes the market to a series of liabilities, some of which are then picked up by the market through compensation levies and things like that. 
and the individuals that are involved in that entity then set up a new company right. risen from the ashes of the previous one effectively like a phoenix entity mm-hmm. um, often transfer the book the asset value across from the old company and the activities from the old company and carry on do it all over again expose consumers to harm expose the market to, to loss and risk and it can be quite hard to pick that up when people are hiding behind corporate shelves behind related parties behind connected individuals actually nowadays with the technology and the data available to us there are profound opportunities for us to detect that much much sooner and intervene earlier and ultimately that's got to be good for us and consumers if we can do that Absolutely. I mean, this all this all sounds fabulous. So, why isn't everybody doing this? Why why is this not you know completely widespread and every financial institution in the land is is adopting these kind of technologies? I mean, there are I think so many different areas, but who, who pick, pick pick one and go for it? The, I think that there is a reality that when it comes to to rec tech, there is a lot of expertise that's <coughs> required. And so, when we started, uh, I mean, one of the things that's been really exciting for us is that we haven't had to really fundraise and, and those kind of things. Um, you usually do when you're really wary of competition. And so, um, it became a reality when you know when we realized that actually it was very difficult for very large institutions to do what we were doing, and that at the same time when it came to the startup land, you actually needed quite a lot of like niche expertise to be able to replicate our process uh, that we basically didn't need to fundraise. And so I think that, um, you know, when we speak to a lot of our customers, when you speak about rec tech, very often they say, well, you know, it sounds like a nice thing. But then when you speak to some of these rec techs, you open the hood and they, we don't really see any technology and there's not very much underneath it. And so um, and so part of it is actually expertise, right, that's missing in the market, um, The really understanding how to turn that into technology is really lacking. Uh, and I would say that the second piece is really also that the, the regulatory sphere on its own, whether it's risk or finance, they are departments that are very traditional. So it's not like you're going to someone that's used to like dealing with consumer banking or it's very excited about the whole digital space. You're talking to people who... Actually, most of our customers, they don't really care that we're a rag tech or not, right? What they care is that they really want a solution and something sorted. Um, and so I think that that's a, a reality that they are very traditional environments where they're not necessarily very prone to the concept of failing fast and learning fast because they just don't want to fail at all. And so I think that that on its own inherently for rag tech makes it more, more difficult to be adopted because um, it's the nature of the mentality in the, you know, risk operations, finance departments, cybersecurity departments they're just very scared of anything going wrong. So why would they try anything new in many ways? And actually failing in that particular area can have huge, huge. consequences. Um, huge. So it's it's kind of, it's something that you really, you really don't want to mess up. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and uh, that was my rather incoherent point earlier about um, the larger banks finding, finding the rolling out of reg tech difficult. So sort of niche bespoke bits of their business fine but if you're running out something to your 15 million personal current account customer base you want to be absolutely certain it's not gonna uh, fall over i think um i mean i think the other thing is also um just a, pr- a prioritization thing you know these banks all expend a lot of energy keeping the show on the road and have their own change programs and reg tech gets squeezed out you know it's funky it's different probably a lot of people there don't understand it why would you throw money at that as opposed to i don't know repainting your branch network or whatever it is (laughs) (laughs) i love that example (laughs) i'm not i'm not sure i agree with that point i i I, having i still know a lot of people in financial services and you look at the the budgets and the books of work and I'm talking generally here about large institutions right reg risk has been at the top of the pile for a while you could argue it's probably reduced maybe because of the point I made earlier about the regulatory change changes have slowed down at least optically Um, but I still think it's one of the top maybe three agenda items for a CEO or CIO to sort of focus on Uh, that I would definitely agree with I suppose (laughs) I suppose my challenge would be how do they try and meet that risk do they go out and hire X thousand compliance people or do they devote that budget to reg tech? I, and I agree with that point. I think, you, as Diana said, you're dealing with very uh, risk-adverse organisations. I think Diana probably knows this much better than me. And the lack of a clear buyer of reg tech is, is a problem. And depending on which type of reg tech you you are you're probably trying to deal with some different people and at the end of the day that's generally a cost to the business so how can a reg tech company move away from just the pure 
cost efficiency, cost saving business case to something that adds value to the business. So I've seen some pretty neat demos in the last couple of days where um, uh, RegTech built their product into a banking platform and then demonstrate how more efficient, how um, efficiency and increased sales of a relationship manager can be driven by correct compliant decisions. And then the conversation turns away from being, we save you costs, we save you people, we lower risk, which is a great conversation to have, don't get me wrong, to actually we increase the top line revenue. And I think, you know, I'm seeing RegTech starting to understand that and adapt to that conversation and, and sell in a different way. I mean, it's classic, isn't it, that banks don't really, aren't really that interested in saving money all the time. If you tell them how to make money, all of a sudden their eyes light up. Um, well, I'm not sure if that's if that's true. I think there is definitely a compelling argument in the sales if you can also show that you can do more effectively. And we definitely use that a lot. Um, but I would say that when you sp- when we speak with our customers, they're really cost saving driven because obviously the margins are a lot smaller than what they used to. Um, and so I would say that the the one of the like very strong drivers to go into rec tech and automation is because you're starting to remove a lot of these manual things that are super costly, right? Or even like hiring, you know, like large consultants to do any kind of analysis on these things, they are super costly. And so I think that there is a reality where technology can make those things cheaper as well, right? And so there, it's definitely a compelling argument as well. I suppose it's worth pointing out as well that actually being compliant isn't really a competitive advantage here. So you're spending money to do something you have to do. Yeah. It's not like you're spending money to have a bright, shiny new branch network in a new shade of green or whatever. You're actually, you, you have to do it, but there's no, everybody else has to do it as well. That's right. Um, just to, to go back to the point we sort of, we talked about earlier, I mean, presumably we talked quite a lot about maybe cultural here, problems with it, but presumably there are technological problems here as well. So presumably like actually integrating some of these solutions into banks technology or in fact regulators technology I imagine you yeah, don't absolutely. have the, sh- the shiniest new systems in the world I'm sorry if you do but um. yeah, sorry if we do I, <laughs> yeah. I'd, I'd, I'd be very no. happy if we did <laughs> sorry that wasn't quite what I meant I would love for everybody to have shiny new systems I'll just put that out there um, but we're talking about these exciting new technologies that particularly um, sure. you Nick and you Diana sort of were we're excited about earlier is is there problems getting the old legacy systems to be able to, to understand those to use those to integrate with those i think so yes to varying degrees depending on the complexity of the business but certainly a lot of the larger financial institutions would would tell you that the complexity of their legacy infrastructure makes it very hard to deploy a niche point solution into that existing stack into that existing system now i think increasingly you're seeing mechanisms by which you can to some extent house the reg tech solution somewhat outside of the core platforms and connect into that from from the core banking platforms but i think that definitely is a challenge for people i think we we have a similar challenge and but then underneath it what what we're all experiencing is challenges of data access data consistency data models data architectures so even if you can get over the hurdle of actually how do you plug into the systems a lot of institutions, I think, are held back from really leveraging RegTech because their data isn't in a sufficiently well-managed, sufficiently well-governed, sufficiently well-organised state. So there's quite a bit of investment that's needed to, to get yourself fit and ready to do that, I think. Mm. Disagree. I hate disagreeing with you, no, Nick. Right. <laughs> Feel free to disagree. I like disagreement. Um, I mean, our experience has been that... Um, that you manage, right? So when it comes to the data, you manage. When it comes to the legacy infrastructure, you manage. A lot more is really ways of working, legacy mentality. I'm I mean, easily 80% from my perspective is the problem. But you manage because you've already decided you're going to find a way. So if you've, if you've got both the, the legacy <laughs> system challenge and I hate this phrase, but the kind of le- legacy thinking, legacy people within the institution. Yeah. Unless you've got a strong enough mandate that says we're going to find a way through these problems, it becomes very easy to point to complex systems, complex data, yeah. architectures, cybersecurity concerns, um, et cetera, et cetera. So I think you're right. There are ways around it and, and the more progressive institutions will find that way. But these are the kind of excuses that we do hear a lot. I'd, I'd agree yeah. with that. As well. I mean, I'd agree with that. That I think finding a sponsor... You know, and again, we shouldn't beat up the large financial institutions all the time. You know, I suppose a lack of change can 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 happen in any business, right? Sure. Um, but finding the right sponsor is that combination of risk reward for them, right? And and I think in conservative functions, um, in 
relatively conservative organizations that can be a hard thing to do hats off to you diana you found some of those people because uh yeah you have to find they're like jewels <laughs> yeah exactly you have to keep hold of them the, but, yeah. but, but particularly difficult for a very small startup absolutely i mean practically bordering on the impossible bordering right? on the impossible so, and also uh, you can see why the institution is going to be nervous about engaging someone that's promising a shiny new solution yeah. to a long-standing problem and who themselves have zero track record, zero kind of capital resources to fall back on. You know, these, these are pretty significant barriers to a large institution deploying a startup reg tech solution into their, into their business. And then they'll put up a final barrier by saying, you know, you need like unlimited liability insurance or something to sell your software to us. I mean, no, you know, those come things on. are outrageous. You need to fight back on that. Absolutely for sure. agree with you there. <laughs> no, I mean, I, I'd agree with a lot of what has been said. I think... Um, to me, to me, it, it it really is a mix of of infrastructure, but the culture piece is is very very important. Um, and I and I and I think the strong sponsor point is a very interesting one because I mean I think that's absolutely vital. I never cease to be amazed how even having a strong sponsor. Uh, by the time you get two or three levels down an institution, that sponsorship has been diluted, and you're sort of sucked back into the machine. Mm. Uh, but without that, you you know you're you're dead in the water. Um, uh, the point about smaller firms is interesting as well. You know, there would be your most natural adopters, but they are cash poor, generally speaking, um, and and resource poor in like. A sort of a different way as in it's all hands on duck on everything and kind of devoting the not just the money but the actual kind of human resources to a reg tech project is often difficult the, uh, I mean I think the one thing that actually I find kind of most interesting about this debate is the potential for regulators um, I mean I thought your point about supervision was really really interesting you know the vast majority of firms in the UK will not get close to a supervisory team um, and I suspect most of the general populace would be surprised by that you know they see regulated by the FCA and they assume that means that you're all over them like a rash whereas in reality you're at best getting data from them and the odd call to a call centre um, I think it's a little bit more <laughs> <than that. laughs> I'm sure that's one of the bits we can edit out later um, <laughs> But anyway, shall we say, you know, it will massively boost up your supervisory capability. That sounded more neutral, didn't it? That did. That did. I can stomach that point. Well, we'll let you fight that out later. Um, <laughs> just to just to bring the point, because I, I think it, I think it is still relevant, sort of digging into these. So, so when you when you two, Diana and Nick are talking about new technologies. Mm. What sort of things are you talking about? And Naz, when you're saying technologies that have been around for a long time that the rest of us might consider old hat, you know, apart from the cloud, what, where is where is the gap in this? So how do you, so part, if you're going to find a sponsor and, you know, the sponsor within the bank has only just heard of the cloud, what are you trying to present to them that is well, you know, well off their understanding level? And how do we make sure that people get up there and, and, and keep up with it? I think that the, I mean, the truth is somewhere in between, right? So there is technology that, is out there and has been out there for a few years that would be considered old in other industries, right? So if you go to like virtual reality, then maybe talking about some of the things that we're doing in RegTech might not be so mind-blowing. Um, but I think that the there is a reality where if, when I think of RegTech, it's a lot about like one-on-one enterprise software innovation. There's really, really bad practices when it comes to enterprise software in our industry. Um, I think that, you know, the amount of closed systems, completely, uh, you know, basically systems that are not absolutely in any way interoperable is absolutely outrageous. Um, I think that uh, we have found even instances where clients have brought us into the table in the process of purchasing large enterprise <laughs> contracts and uh, where, you know, because we knew about technology and they trusted us to just have a discussion as to whether their system had or not APIs, which they kept saying they didn't. Uh, and then it turns out that they did. And I think that there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on in the industry, which is 
pretty outrageous from from my perspective. So when I speak about new technologies, like one of the the basics is always, you know, completely interoperable systems that should just be like a must and a basic. So whenever anyone is buying new enterprise software in the financial industry, they need to ask very responsibly the vendor how much it will cost them to get anything out of their system, whether it's their own data or analytics or anything like that. Um, Because more often than not, they end up in very large licenses and stuck for years uh, you know with a particular vendor where they cannot get out and whenever they want to get access back to anything that is their own information it costs them a fortune to do that so interoperability for me is key the cloud conversation is also very important um, as well but you know the the pace of adoption for that is a bit different because obviously you know being an enterprise software vendor doesn't need to be that you're selling the cloud as well um, but that's a bit of a different conversation but definitely quite important so API driven architecture uh, you know systems that can connect leveraging on some of the best practices around like analytics uh, th- things that actually allow you to really do things like machine learning right so AI is a bit into the future for financial services but you will only be able to get there if you can you know have access to your data effectively so yeah I mean, so that, that's one of the one of the ways that we can sort of start overcoming. So we discussed her, the hurdles to adoption. Um, you know, that's one of the ways that the financial institutions start thinking about it. Okay, so this is a way that we can get over that. Um, Jason, you mentioned earlier some of this, like changing how you pitch, I suppose, as a reg tech and saying, actually, there are many different, you know, ways, benefits you can get from this. Um, it, you know, is there anything is there anything else do you think that either the reg techs can do or in fact the regulator could do? Because given that you are quite, you know, you are an advocate of, of the reg tech, is there some, some of the reg tech? Now I sound, now I sound like my, my grandmother, the WhatsApp, the Facebook. Um, we are all advocates of RegTech around the table. Um, is there anything else that we can do to make it easier to drive awareness, to drive adoption, you know, anything that's in progress or just sort of ideas that you'd really like to see people implement? So I'm going to let others suggest what we should do as a regulator. <laughs> I think that's probably the right way to play this conversation. I think one thing that we're increasingly seeing as a successful strategy for individual RegTechs is to hunt in packs. And to to recognize that uh, if we row back a bit, a couple of years ago, the market was somewhat overhyped. You had a lot of startups who were going around telling very large institutions this legacy problem that you've had that you currently spend hundreds of millions of pounds on, we can fix for you overnight. I'm I'm obviously paraphrasing, but that was the kind of message in it was overly simplifying the problem and it was overly promising on the, the the solution, actually. I think over the last couple of years, you've seen that shaken out a bit because that hasn't worked. There's still a bit, still a bit, uh, a bit of puff and a bit of hype in the market. <laughs> um, but I think what you're also seeing is that reg techs are starting to recognise that actually the, the institutions that they're trying to sell into, the systems that they're trying to integrate into are complex. And if you just offer a point solution to a very specific problem statement, you may not be able to overcome the inertia of deployment that you'll see in the large institutions. If you have a partner up with a series of other reg techs and start to offer something more end-to-end, given that there is a genuine resistance in the industry to buying very large off-the-shelf end-to-end at the moment for for various reasons, actually, I think that's one thing you you can see as being a bit more successful. Hunting in packs, uh, passing work between one another, recommending other reg techs to an institution because, as my colleagues have already said, knowing who to speak to in an institution could be hard enough. Once you find that person, share them with your network, share them with your peers, and then actually you can probably come up with something that's far more meaningful and valuable. I, I like that. A lot of puff. Um, I might use that expression. But the, uh, I, I, <laughs> Regulator says there's a lot of puff in the industry. <laughs> I, 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 I mean, I you said it. I, so. I, I agree with the sentiment, though. I mean, I've, I've used the expression for probably the last year or so, put five or six reg techs in a tin and shake them up and you might get something interesting, right? <laughs> and, and I think that the, the idea is the same. I think, the, the, I think there's still too much puff. Uh, I think the signal to noise is too high still. Now maybe that maybe that will shake out, right? You can you can't move for a reg tech conference. Some you know, it's almost someone having the same conversation about reg tech somewhere in the world at any one second of the day. I'm convinced of that, right? So I think there's a maturity that's coming, right? The signal to noise ratio may be flattening out, and I agree with that sentiment. The rise of the platform, right? I think there's a, a I know a number of initiatives going on where people are looking to build platforms that are made up of many, perhaps multiple best-in-class reg techs. And for those 
platforms and for the regtechs within those platforms that enables you to gain access and engagement with your end customer and end buyer and that might be one model it won't be the only model that succeeds but it may be one yeah sorry just on that point of is the hype dying down though one one thing i think we might have to keep an eye on though is the uh the proliferation of cheap seed funding in certain other parts of the world so as other markets have looked at the regtech ecosystem in the uk and tried to start to emulate it one of the ways they've done that is to try and provide very very cheap seed to not particularly great companies any examples no 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 i'm not going to do that (laughs) no no but i actually think that that's a that's a fair point within regtech but also within fintech generally um that is not that is not exclusive to this particular area or this particular industry sure um but i mean i would say to add to to this there is a reality of you know selling the dream right and so uh, wherever there are entrepreneurs there's going to be that kind of rhetoric and and i think that that's part of the reality of entrepreneurship it's actually one of the reasons that it can be a lot of fun in many ways you know you're crossing the chasm or the chasm what's the experience chasm. Chasm. the chasm you're crossing the chasm and so there's a lot of things that the that are just you know 101 of basically starting a company from zero to making it uh, you know, a multi-billion business. And so I think that the, the, we can't be afraid of that, right? So one of the things that I feel um, a bit wary about is that the, there is a lot of awesome things that happen in a journey from starting a business, right? And so whether it is in regtech or in fintech or in anything, forgetting that that's part of the, the reality of the, of the journey is, is silly because you don't want it to be that then you end up with only large companies being able to have the right rhetoric with the large financial institutions or even the PAC conversation can be super interesting, but then, you know, like the time that maybe a new company that actually has something to sell could end up spending trying to find peers that are maybe to their level uh, could actually waste their opportunities as well. So I think that in many ways, the the there is something, I mean, when I left the industry, so the financial industry to start this company, I was really excited about the opportunity of being an entrepreneur with something that really was usable and that people would want to spend money on. So I would advise to anyone that's looking at doing something like that to follow the money. Right, and it's the best way to survive. It's the best way to be around four years later when people are still speaking about half and puff, um, and you know, hustle. Right, that's what entrepreneurship is all about. So it's uh, you won't get in trouble for that. It's fine. Nick is shaking his head. But it, it's true, right? There is something really wonderful from being an entrepreneur that can start something from zero to to you know making a company that's profitable and sustainable. And I always encourage people to try this entrepreneurship journey because it is a lot of fun, no matter how hard it is. It's really worth it. I think the sentiment, though, Nick, that you made, I think is, is right, though, about the, f- the availability of cheap capital and funding. And I think, um, you know, naturally, a company that starts up, you know, even with some seed capital, if they don't get the follow-on funding, you know, two to three years in, they're going to go a certain way, right? And we know mm-hmm. how that story ends. Um, so I think... You know the market is skewed by by money, right? It's, you know sometimes the the best companies don't win, right? The best technologies don't win, and it's skewed by early capital and some level of success. But maybe and maybe they were not the best companies. I, I think it works both ways because I, I think ways, yeah. I think we've, mm. I've certainly seen maybe. companies with, with valuations and you know valuations and money poured into them, neither of which seem in any way relevant to the actual value that the company itself is providing. So you 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 do see that kind of pile on mentality certainly in fintech which I know more broadly and I imagine it is the same in regtech. But, you know, that's kind of what we're trying to get to the bottom of here is if I am a big bank and I want to not speak to those companies, I want to speak to the right companies, you know, how, how can we make sure that happens? I'm sorry, Nancy, did you have a point? Well, I mean, I mean I'd, I'd agree with the, the pile-on point. Um, I mean, I think, I think one factor is, you know, it, it, it takes the big banks, you know, it's, take, it's taking time for them to get their head around it. So, you know, they need to figure out that they can't build it themselves. Uh, they need to figure out that they can't get this built by the traditional consultancies that they use, who I'm pretty sure would have been telling them for a long time that they could do it all <laughs> amazingly well. <laughs> consultancies can make pigs fly. Yeah, it's amazing. At a, at a surprisingly high cost. Um, so, you know, and, you know, that process probably takes, um, takes years, frankly. Um, just some, the other question you asked about, you know, what more could the regulator do? I mean, my personal view, and I'm not just trying to atone for my earlier point, is... Uh, I mean, I think the regulators are doing pretty well at the moment in the UK. So um, I think the FCA is taking its competition remit statutory duty 
very seriously, much more seriously than I thought you would, if I'm honest with you. Um, and I think, um, and I think you can see that in sort of practice, the things like the sandbox, the hackathons, just your general tone and message. Um, I still think that there is a um, almost a lack of trust on the part of the industry that you're going to stick to your word and not beat them the first time something goes wrong. So I think someone referred earlier to the sort of um, fail and learn approach. You know, that's really re different for banks. And you've got to remember that the industry's just come out of a 10-year period where it has been continually beaten up, quite rightly, for the sins of the past. So to suddenly go from let's be as risk-adverse as possible to let's take a punt on a new company doing something in a new way and accept that as part of that, we may fail to learn to get better. You know, that's a big leap of faith on their part. It's a huge mindset change. Yeah, absolutely. How can Sam afford the latest smartphone while she's at university? It must cost her parents a fortune to send her there. Oh, she's fine. She can just borrow the cash and pay it back when she bags a high-powered graduate job. Well, the tuition fees alone must be nearly £30,000. Well, she'll be earning a lot more than that after a couple of years. But imagine starting your career with £60,000 worth of debt. Hmm. Yeah, you could buy plenty of smartphones with that. Millennials. Future consumers or debt slaves. Don't settle for black or white. For the full perspective, turn to the Financial Times. Visit ft.com forward slash join us. Today, customers are demanding greater value from financial services. They expect more agility, innovation and security than ever before. Most financial institutions are held back by the shackles of closed legacy systems that limit transparency, block innovation and ignore customers' demands. Finastra has a bold vision to unlock the potential of people and business. They've created a platform for open innovation in the world of financial services with FusionFabric.cloud. Their solutions span retail, transaction lending, and treasury and capital markets on-premise and in the cloud. Start your transformation journey today with Finastra. So um, we're just getting to the end of the roundtable, but the question I like to ask everybody at the end of every one of these insight shows is, um, is what's next? And that could be, I'd be what's next for you, you know, if, if you guys have something exciting on the agenda or the horizon, um, or it could be, you know, what do you think is, is next in, in the reg tech industry? So I, you know, I said, oh, it's, it's old hat now, it's been going for three years. And you all went, no, actually, we're still very nascent. So presumably there's still a long way to go. Um, so, you know, which, whichever way you prefer to answer the question, really. Um, I'll go first. So what's next for us in, uh, as an institution? Um, so our next big tech sprint, we've got two actually coming up, one on pensions in the latter half of this month, depending on when this podcast goes out. <laughs> uh, so back in the November, uh, we have our next uh, tech sprint really focusing on how do you use data analytics and a range of data sources to give people meaningful information to inform their pensions choices broadly. So it's a slightly different, different flavour. The one I'm particularly excited about, though, follows that, which is uh, we're lining up for the next spring. And it's a bit more of a flavour of where RegTech is heading, I think, which is more international collaboration, uh, more meaningful hands-on experimentation with specific technologies by regulators. So the one we're looking at, uh, spring 2019, uh, we're going to try and, with a series of regulators, start to tackle some of the challenges around data sharing and Cross-border um, data sharing. Cross-border okay. data sharing, cross-institutional data sharing for the purposes of financial crime detection and prevention. And we're going to look very specifically at some of the new privacy-enhancing technologies, new encryption technologies, and how they might unlock what's been a long-standing challenge and an issue for industry, and frankly, where the outcomes for all of us haven't been good enough. So um, we're lining that up for, for next year. And then for, as an organisation generally, there's, we have a long journey ahead in terms of modernising uh, and developing our data science and advanced analytics capabilities. Um, so a big part of my focus and my team's focus over next year will be really trying to turn what's been a bit of a cottage industry and an experimental approach internally into something that we do at scale and becomes a core part of our regulatory approach and model going forwards. And where can people find out more about that if they want to get either in touch with you or if they want to get in touch with the SCA about any of those initiatives you've just mentioned? What's the, what's the best way to contact? Um... So, so they can go to the FCA RegTech pages. So literally type FCA RegTech into Google, it will come up. Um, otherwise, if you're a, a sucker for listening to a boring regulator's voice if you type regtech nick cook into google you'll get various videos and speeches that we've done other podcasts 
Um, and if they just want to contact us directly, it's regtech at fca.org.uk. Brilliant. Thank you. How about you, Diana? What's next? So I think um, what's next for all of us right, in the industry is probably a better understanding of basics in technology. So when it comes to cloud, API, interoperable systems, um, I think that's going to be quite important for the next few years so that direct tech doesn't become an educational process, but it's kind of a given of the things that we're expecting from enterprise solutions in the financial industry. Um, I think that, you know, seeing the regulators coming at the table so very much to you know the 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 reality of what nick has just mentioned um this is such an important part of how you would look at digital supervision for the future. Um, and so one of the, the things that we have seen since we started our adventures is that there are regulators around the world who have obviously been inspired by a lot of the good work that has happened here in the UK. Uh, some of them have been more or less aggressive as to taking that properly into their agenda. And in many ways, as a UK-based company, I actually would like the, the regulator here to continue being as proactive and innovator in the international uh, you know, seen as well because we don't want to, you know, be behind the rest of the world now that they've started listening to what we're doing. Um, and so, so yes, yeah, so I would say that's what's next from my perspective. You know, low-hanging fruits that can actually be adopted and taken in-house by the regulators in terms of how they they help the the you know expansion of regtech uh, and that actually really allows and permits uh, more innovation by people that come into the industry to do better technology. And where can people find out more about the exciting solutions that Suede offers that you've talked about today? So you can look at our website, suede.org. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter as well, at Suede Labs, or myself, at Diana Artemis 3. Brilliant. Jason, what's next? So I'm going to talk perhaps quickly about the waves of um, RegTech that we've seen. And I think we've, we've touched on it already. So I think we've, we're in or at the end of wave one, which has been, as Diana said, all about education. I think there's been a huge amount of jostling for position for the RegTech companies during that phase. Explosion of capital, explosion of companies. So we've got a RegTech directory. It's got about 700 companies that we've looked at over the past couple of years. So there's a huge number of companies still, still some coming. But I think we're leaving that wave and we're now entering a wave of consolidation, acquisition. We're starting to see some of that happen, some burnout, some slowdown. Uh, and I think that's going to be the next two or three years, maybe, you know, if we talk about three year cycles, maybe to 2020. And then the third, as Sean uh, Lewin, I work with every day, uh, and I were talking about this in the office, the third wave, what should we call the third wave? So we've named it middle age spread, right? <laughs> so um, that's about the spreading out of technology into adjacent uh, markets. I knew like that, Nick, uh, into adjacent markets. So we, we see we see pharma, uh, automotive, you know, the technology is pretty much the same. The problems are pretty much the same, right? So actually, in you could argue in those industries, there's a different starting position. So I think we'll see spread of um, technologies and companies that are successful from other industries into financial services and also outwards. Mm. And if people want to find out more about that, so that directory you just mentioned or about more about your organisation, where can they find you? rtassociates.co or at Jason Bowd on Twitter. Brilliant. Naz, what are your predictions for the future? Uh, I'm not predictions, but I think, um, you know, the next three to five years are going to be really interesting. So, you know, RegTech is coming. I think players from the larger to the smaller end of the markets are going to have to adopt it. The larger players so that they don't get left behind, the smaller players so that they can compete with their kind of resource-rich competitors. Um, and the reason I say it will be interesting is I think we'll see over the next three to five years who is doing that well or badly and and I think you'll start to see some people stumble but equally I think you'll start to see some people really shoot on ahead of their ahead of the pack and if people want to find out more about you uh nasa at 11fs.com perfect um and you can find me on twitter at sarah kashansky um that wraps up our roundtable for today thank you so much everybody for joining me um thank you to our listeners for for joining us on this reg tech journey um and don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode you can follow us on social at fintech insiders and if you really really love us please leave us a review on itunes we'll have more insights for you very soon goodbye goodbye